Welcome to Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 with your hosts, Dominique and Ashley. Um, we are providing a safe space for Black women to come and speak about their stresses and anxieties living in this chaotic world. And Ashley, go ahead and so introduce, today, uh, introduce our guest. Yeah, so today we're really excited. Um, we've got Dr. Stevens, who is a licensed psychologist, board certified licensed psychologist. Um, she is going to be our first mental health professional that we've had um, on the podcast. So we are really excited about this. Um, she's got tons of accolades. So I'm going to breeze through them and then we'll probably touch on them a little bit and kind of ask you. I know you've got some really cool um, projects and, and things that you're working on and we definitely want to you know, pick your brain about those. But um, so Dr. Schwan Stevens, and I want to make sure I said that correctly. Swan. Perfect. Swan. Swan? Yes. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so Dr. Stevens, again, is a licensed psychologist um, who um, did her graduate school at University of Notre Dame. Um, you are the program director and founder of Ultimate Thinking Psychology Consultants. Um, as well as the PA and co-founder of Standing in the Gap Development, of Standing in the Gap Development Corporation. Um, so we are really, really excited to have you on the show. And before we kind of hop into all of our questions that we have for you, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background and also the, um, the things that you're involved in? Thank you so much. So as you said, as you said, my name is Dr. Sean Stevens. I'm a licensed psychologist here in the state of Florida. I'm also board certified. And basically what that means is that I um, conducted almost two to three years of additional training in order to become um, or, or to specialize in the area of clinical psych psychology, working with children, adolescents, their families, and honestly across the general population you know, specializing in severe psychological distress, such as depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, um, severe forms of trauma. Um, wow. Well, thank you. It's certainly um, one of the many uh, projects, certainly that's close to my heart, is my work with Ultimate Thinking Psychological Consultants and Standing in the Gap Community Development Corporation. And in these projects, we specifically target poor women of color, Black women, in terms of the areas of mental health awareness, building mental health awareness, um, identifying ways that we can reduce the stigma associated with mental health issues, along with providing legal advocacy and providing economic and job um, opportunities for these women. And we're more so concentrated in the Northeast part of Florida. So the Jacksonville area, Duval County, is where most of our work has been over the past five years now. Wow, that's that's amazing. Like bow down to you because the work that you're doing is is definitely needed and, and appreciated. Thank um, you so much. So um, we are going to go ahead and just hop in. Um, we've got lots of questions for you, but we're not stuck to these questions. So feel free if you want to give us some more information, like we will take it. We're ready to sponge in all the information that you have. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds That's good. I love that kind of true. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Dominique, I'll let you go ahead and kick off the questions. Okay. Um, so, the first question is going to be, what is a psychologist? And we've already discussed what you specialize in, but can you just dive a little bit deeper in that? Um, a lot of people don't really know what a psychologist is. So, that would be the first start to, to everything. 
Well, thank you. And let me just say, Ms. Dominique and Ms. Ashley, I really do appreciate you all having me on this podcast and more so offering this podcast because it's so very important for Black women in order to certainly understand their power while also understanding the vulnerabilities associated with having so much power, you know? Mm -hmm. And certainly one of the vulnerabilities, one of the challenges associated with that, you know, certainly is mental health issues, you know? And I think certainly, you know, within our communities, we have stigmatized what it means to receive and and to um, admit to psychological challenges. So I really want to applaud you all for certainly offering this podcast and for the work that you all do. So thank you all thank so you. much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. <laughs> right? Yes. So that really does segue in terms of what the role of a psychologist is. So a psychologist um, diagnoses, treats, assess the spectrum of psychological disorders. So psychological disorders can be, as I mentioned before, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, trauma, some of the more like typical things that we associate with um, a psychologist, but it also certainly can work with what we call neurodevelopmental issues, such as children with learning disabilities, children or, or adults with autism spectrum disorders, or children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So these are issues that um, we have noticed, certainly through research, that have more of a biological basis and typically starts in childhood. You know, and of course, on the other end of that, rec or that, that spectrum are the dementia disorders, you know, that typically affect our older populations. And so, you know, so this is this very round gamut of, of psychological issues that are actually very normative, meaning that we look at it on a normative scale. You know, it's not necessarily anything that's bad or good, but it's just the spectrum of normative issues. And, you know, right. looking at the lower end of those normative issues are what we call like adjustment issues. So like typical everyday stressors that um, most of us have experienced, right? Like grief or loss over the loss of a relationship, grief or loss over losing a job, you know, or just challenges in terms of relationship issues with our parents or siblings or friends, you know, those adjustment issues. But they all start at the root of typically stress. You know, right. and again, stress is very normative in our society, especially with everything that we've experienced today, you know. And so my role as a psychologist, again, spans that entire spectrum, you know, from the lower end of the normative uh, spectrum to the higher end of that normative spectrum, you know, right. dealing with different levels of severity. And so, um so, so in terms of, you know, like my work, I've specialized uh, in, in <laughs> and sort of like the economy today, like when I graduated in 2007, if you all remember, that was the, um, the right in the middle of the, exactly yep. the Great Recession. So, you know, I had these awesome experiences working with children and adolescents and families. However, if I specialized in that, then I wouldn't have been able to pay bills. So I became what we call a generalist. So I quickly learned a lot of um, special or specialized treatments working with adults, working with the older population, because, you know, in, in order to survive, you know, we do what we need to do. And so, you know, so, so my work, you know, while it started out more formally working with children and adolescents and families over time, I've also been able to gain some really great experiences working with, um, the upper end of, of, of our adult spectrum as well. Wow. That's awesome. Wow. Like I, 
I I guess the next thing I want to ask is a lot of people think psychologists, psychiatrists are all the same thing. Like what's the what's the difference or the biggest difference that you would tell somebody is the difference between the two or and do you guys work together? Can you go see one or the other? Do you have to see both? Like how does that work? So if you don't mind, um, I'm going to take a step back from that question because I think this is a really excellent question because this is a question that I receive so often, right, in terms of what's the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. And I think one of the um, easiest ways that I've learned or taught people the difference is, you know, the O, you know, it's <laughs> whenever you learn something, you say, oh, <laughs> so <laughs> it's a silly um, uh, way or mnemonic, but um, in, in terms of like what a psychologist does, a a psychologist specializes in talk or insight therapy, you know, so it typically does not include the prescription of medicine, which is what a psychiatrist does. Got it. And so, you know, so that's the primary difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. Although there are six states within the union that have allowed properly and appropriately trained psychologists to prescribe medication. Okay. So, Yes, New Mexico, um, Iowa, Idaho, Illinois, Louisiana, and then another state, um, and certainly all of the uh, territories, uh, most of the territories like Guam, as well as um, people who work with the military, you know, those properly uh, trained psychologists are able to prescribe medication, you know, but certainly in, in terms of the disciplines of mental health psychology, like when we think about those um, it really does depend on the education as well as the specialty. So as I mentioned, or a, as you all brought up, you know, certainly a psychiatrist is a medical doctor, you know, and certainly that medical doctor is the individual who prescribes medication, who diagnoses psychological issues, and they can also treat. But most psychiatrists honestly just diagnose and treat through medication, even though they do have the option to treat through like talk or insight therapy, more um, often than not, they more so, you know, work with the talking profession, you know, so that includes, you know, um, people such as myself, psychologists, but there's also ma master level therapists and master level therapists are, you know, um, include maybe a licensed clinical, licensed clinical social worker, um, a LMHC, so a licensed mental health counselor, an LPC, a licensed um, psychological consultant or actually licensed practical um, consultant or counselor, you know, depending on the state in which um, you reside. So these master level counselors, you know, they also provide uh, more so mental health counseling. But the difference between a, a master's level therapist and a psychologist is that master level um, counselors do not diagnose um, psychological disorders, nor do they assess, you know, using psychological uh, or psychoeducational techniques. Okay. And so that's the primary difference between uh, those. And certainly you can see any number of those individuals and certainly the combination. And often what we find is that people tend to have the best outcomes when they um, engage in what we call this conjoint therapy. So um, receiving certainly medication for more severe forms of psychological distress or when things tend to feel like it's out of, you know, you can't manage it along with like talk or insight therapy. And one of the great things about medication, or certainly with science, is that we've learned so much about medication. However, medication is not a cure-all, you know, and so I like to use this metaphor about, you know, overfilling cup, right? So if you ever have, like, coffee, and I don't know if you've, you know, like, added maybe creamer to it, and if you've added too much, it starts to, like, splash all around, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so what medication does, that med medication, what it does is that it just takes the overflow just a bit, but your cup is still full. And so what mental health counseling or psychotherapy does is that it helps you to find ways in order to specifically target ways to reduce that overflow. Mm -hmm. So medication is about managing and oftentimes stabilizing the psychological distress or psychiatric distress that we, you know, experience, whereas mental health counseling or psychotherapy helps us to strategically, you know, use coping strategies in order to manage that stress. Yeah, I think that's like, that's really, really great to, to know and get your perspective on because I know for a while, probably up until um, these last few months, I've actually been in an abnormal psychology class and learning a lot more. Um, but I have kind of always been like anti-medication when it comes to mental health, um, just because I guess there's kind of a stigma around that as well. Like, okay, they're just kind of give you medicine and send you on your way. And then you hear kind of, you know, the horror stories of people getting off the medication too soon or, you know, taking, mixing the medication with other things or just the medication just has weird side effects. And so it kind of gives you, kind of scares you a little bit about, you know, taking medication for your mental health. And then, mm -hmm. um, you know, then you just avoid it altogether. But it's definitely good to know that it's not meant to be a cure-all, but it's meant to kind of be used with everything else all the other resources that are out there like yeah like it's a tool like it's a, instead of it just being a, a remedy it's a tool to help so that Very i like that so. that's really interesting mm -hmm. um so i have another question for you um, a lot of people do not really know what anxiety is and they kind of think of it as something abstract that is especially in our community they think it's something that really isn't applicable to them so can you tell them what uh anxiety is and what kind of symptoms you can face with that thank you so, so much people can identify definitely so thank you for that question because you know what we see with anxiety anxiety is the most common um form of psychological distress because one of the reasons is that it is so very pervasive. And, 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 and we think about anxiety, you know, anxiety is this very um, global just form of, it can be a form of malaise, you know, where, um, and again, thinking about the spectrum, because again, you know, when we talk about psychological issues, I want us to think about things on a spectrum, you know? So, and in terms of that spectrum, certainly you can experience like malaise, you can also experience agitation. You can experience like apprehensive or worried mood. Um, and then there's also the cognitive pieces associated with that, the ruminative thoughts, you know, the ruminative thoughts that just reoccur, you know, so it may be about a particular issue that you might be worried about, or it could be about everything, you know, so these global issues. So everything is the same level or has the same level of, of worry or the same level of apprehension. So when we think about, um, again, anxiety, you know, I like to think about things, you know, again, on the spectrum, but then there are like four domains. So the behavioral component, you know, so the behavioral component are the physiological or the somatic piece, um, components of it. So physiological component of anxiety are um, typically things that happen um, in reaction to a stressor and within our body. So certainly our blood um, raising, um, certainly blood pressure, uh, sweating. Um, some people experience headaches. So anything that 
those things that happen within inside of our body are those physiological components. The other part of the behavioral component are the external uh, features of, of anxiety, such as like hands trembling. Um, some people, you know, tend to pace. Some people, you know, uh, maybe their legs tremble. Then there's also, again, like the cognitive piece that I mentioned, you know, like the ruminative thoughts, there's the emotional component, the actual worry. Some people experience um, sadness or depression associated with their um, anxiety. And so we've got the behavioral, the emotional, the cognitive, and some of these somatic components. And so these different components are what make up anxiety. But as I mentioned, anxiety is very complex because anxiety is not just one thing or another. And again, when we think about that spectrum, it could be any number of those things and it could be any degree of those things, you know? And so, and then even if we break that down further, you know, anxiety is this really global term that could either refer to worry and worry is a much more advanced form of um, our brain's functioning in response to a tra uh, trauma. And so when we look at worry within the brain, the, the worry actually occurs within the temporal lobe. And so in terms of this, you know, so again, it's a much more complex emotion. The counterpart to that is fear. You know, so when we think about phobias, for example, that's a form of anxiety like worry. And that is more of a primitive form of anxiety. You know, so again, we think about from it or, or about it from an evolutionary perspective. Maybe if you saw danger, one of the things that your body prepared you for was fight or flight. And what gets activated is fear. Limbic system. I remember that. <laughs> exactly. 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 And that happens in the base of our brain as opposed to worry happens right somewhere in this area of our brain. You know, so again, the, so these different forms of anxiety, you know, certainly um, provide or, or offer different functions. And remember that our body is always aiming for what we call homeostasis. So it's always aiming for balance. balance. But it's right, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that balance is normal or that balance, you know, tends to certainly um, be healthy for you. Because <clears throat> depending on what you know, that is what your body may determine what is homeostasis. So, for example, let me just break, break that down. And I'm sorry, hopefully I'm not give you all too much detail no no no. we love it no please. i'm loving it keep going, keep going please <laughs> this is great this is great this is exactly what we want i'm just like <laughs> <laughs> exactly so like let, let's say if you uh let's say if we have a child right a child a child grows up in a very chaotic environment where things are very unpredictable for that child of course during that time that is destabilizing but over time that's what that child starts to anticipate that's what their mind starts to certainly, in, in terms of like how they tend to certainly navigate their environment, where things operate in that, in that chaotic way. And so that becomes their homeostasis, like that becomes what's balanced. That's their normal. That's their, that's, mm -hmm. that's right. their normal way of functioning. Exactly, exactly. And so what may happen for that child as they become older Let's say if you have a high achieving child who grew up in this um, very chaotic environment, let's say when they go off to college, right? They go off to college, they've never really learned how to study because they were just very naturally smart. However, you know, they've encountered their first writing class and their first writing class, they have a very demanding professor and this professor saying this, 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 and this, and this. And typically again, for this high achieving child who grew up in this chaotic environment, they were able to navigate just based off of their smarts. However, this new system requires organization. So 
in order to manage you in my business? That, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just asking. <laughs> I know. Reading you right now, I feel like I feel like I'm being attacked. But okay. <laughs> but that's but and, and and that's exactly what happens. You know, it's like those first events. You know, and oftentimes, sometimes it happens for college. You know, when we first enter college, sometimes it happens for our high school. It just depends. You know, but certainly, and in this case, so when they're given that first assignment or that first stressor, that first major stressor that they just can't navigate through easily number of things can happen. So they're like, okay, I'm high achieving. I can do this, you know? And so they may go about this in the same way, but going about it in the same way means that they're going to perhaps maybe what we call maybe like a success or failure, right? They may not necessarily do so well. And so they do the best that they can. So how does that play out on the microscopic level, right? So you may see a person who's very high achieving. So their way of being organized is that everything's a mess. I feel yeah. good in this mess. <laughs> I know where to find my stuff. Don't touch my mess. <laughs> because again, that's what, that, that's what their homeostasis is. Because again, remember that the body and the mind is always trying to return to what feels like normal, what feels like homeostasis. And especially when they're given these extra demands that, they, that are novel, these novel demands, their bodies, the mind is like, wait, what's going on here? How do we organize this? Since you didn't give me a blueprint, we're going to form one. And this is the blueprint. And then over time, this blueprint may become more refined. <laughs> well, typically, it becomes a lot more refined. And for some of us, that, that refinement certainly helps us to become a lot more organized. For some of us, maybe not so well. You know? And so we're constantly reevaluating and refining that blueprint. And sometimes what we have to do if we're prepared is that we may have to throw out the blueprint altogether. We say, okay, not only was home chaotic, but the way that I responded to that was also chaotic. So I need to find a completely different way. But again, remember that the body's constantly fighting for homeostasis because the body's like, wait, you're trying to tell me that this is something new that you want me to do, but this is what worked. I'm going to go back to this because again, remember our bodies are pre-programmed to survive. And survive doesn't necessarily mean physically surviving. It means emotionally and cognitively surviving. So it's always going to go back to what it knows in order to certainly increase its chances of survival. Wow. Okay. So Mind blown. <laughs> How do you know? Thank you very much. Um, no. um, <laughs> but when you, when you speak about that, that is so relatable. As specifically to me because um, I realized later and a little bit later because I'm 30 now but I've realized over time that I work better with organization and I need to plan my day out and I can be more um, I, I feel better when I do write my, my list of duties my daily tasks down and then I can look back and say oh I did this 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 and this instead of just kind of winging it every day and that was one of the reasons that I did not enjoy college because I didn't have the organization involved. So yes, I agree. Cause I was one of those children that grew up in a chaotic home environment and I did navigate through life with just my, my smarts. And then I was in the gifted program and all that. And I went to college studying psychology with my as my major. And then I was just like, dang, College is very hard, but the reality wasn't that. It was just I didn't know how to actually navigate. And 
that's what happened. So that's very interesting. I'm um, I'm really intrigued by that. You read me for filth right there. <laughs> well, so it was not my intention, so I apologize. About that. No, it's fine. It's fine. Drag me. That's that's cool. But it's so it's so good to know. Like there's there's so I like psychology, and I like the I just like the the realm of mental health because. They're, the things that Same. we do is so much deeper than just like, oh, I'm going to get up and, you know, live my life and have my day this way. And there's, there's so many, like, it's like an onion and there's like so many layers behind why you're doing what you're doing, why you're thinking what you're thinking, why you're having like constant negative thoughts or constant positive thoughts or why, you know, you're constantly in drama or, you know. So I, I just really like the the insight that mental health gives people and Same. that's kind of why I um like started to reach out I guess like a year ago started to reach out and um speak to a, a therapist and because you get to a point where you're like I don't know how I got to this point and I don't know how to get back you know to either my normal balance or create a new balance and I love the fact that you talk about homeostasis and having like a norm and um, having that norm not necessarily be the healthiest thing, but somehow you just keep going back to it and it's not, in a, it's literally in your body, in your brain. To go exactly, back. exactly. And, and the thing about it, you know, because even if we broke that down further, because, you know, because, and again, the, the, the basis for most psychological issues is that we see that the brain plays such an indelible role in that you know, unmistakably. And, you know, so let's say if you have what we call like a genetic or a biological predisposition, meaning that there is a first degree, typically a first degree relative. So a parent, a sister, brother, um, or a second degree relative, like a grandparent an aunt or uncle, that increases your risk to exhibit that disorder depending on what the disorder is. And again, I don't necessarily, and I, I'm sort of simplifying because psychological disorders are not just one gene, turn it on and off. It's a multitude of, 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 of genes, a multitude of what we call structural abnormalities in the brain, or it could be certainly um, dysregulation of the brain's biochemicals like uh, neurotransmitters, but typically it's multi a multitude of factors, right? So let's say if you have a biological or, or genetic predisposition, so this biological or genetic predisposition increases your risk, depending on the disorder, anywhere from, say, 5% five, 5 to some 30%. It increases your risk of, 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 of inheriting that disorder. But then when we add the environmental predisposition, so again, let's go back to our example, Ms. Dominique. Again, I'm not trying to certainly target you, but, you know, certainly, and I think that that example is really um, so central because it shows us how most people develop and exhibit psychological disorders because they're, again, we have this environmental predisposition. So an environmental predisposition are the things that happen within your environment. So it doesn't necessarily mean just your physical environment. It could be your physical environment, such as home or school. It could also be maybe having a parent who's not supportive. You know, it could be having a parent who also exhibits mental health issues or, or, or has um, physical issues. And because they have those physical issues, they're not able to provide you with a loving and stable, you know, home that children need. And again, you know, notice that I'm always, I always really talk about things, you know, from that um, developmental perspective, because 
again, part of it being um, my own philosophy around the, the origin, but oftentimes this is where we see that most black women identify the source of their psychological distress. Hold on, before you answer that, because we have a question coming to that, so just put a pin in that really quick, because we have that coming up. So before you, I'll I'll stop you right there, because honey, I already know that's going to be a whole, um, okay? Since we're on the topic, like Dominique said, we've got lots of questions for you. So the the one that I want to hop into right now is, um, I know you talked about anxiety being kind of on this spectrum of you know a range of how these emotions can get intensified so when does somebody like what's a a point where you think somebody should seek help like at what point of you know normal anxiety every day you know oh my gosh I have a big test I'm a bit anxious for um versus you know I can't you know talk to my boss at work because I'm so anxious all the way over to I don't want to leave the house because I don't want to be in crowds and I have social anxiety so at what point do you think that somebody or would you suggest that or would you say any point yeah 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 where Uh where do you suggest Uh people reach out to help for help well honestly and, and and again thinking about just psychological distress on 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 this normal scale Honestly, um, and again, if we could use like another metaphor, is like drinking water, right? You know, so um, we're told that we're supposed to drink so many ounces every couple of minutes or every, you know, so many ounces every couple of hours. You know, certainly if you're a runner, then you drink a whole lot more, you know, certainly during the summertime. And again, like think about the metaphor, right? So it's this idea that it's important for us to seek out support and help and support and help may not necessarily be formal. It doesn't necessarily have to be formal. Certainly can start out with social support in terms of maybe friends, in terms of your relatives, whether it's your parents, your siblings or cousins or aunts or uncles, you know, it can be certainly that part of your support network, you know, for those who, you know, espouse um, a religious philosophy or religious orientation. Perhaps it could be their pastor, it could be their minister, it could be certainly the rabbi. Their mind. It could be any number of people within, you know, your support network, you know, and also it could also be maybe be a little bit more structured in terms of like books, health help books or tapes or things like that. So one, I think it's really important, you know, to certainly seek out like when things start to become, when it starts to feel overwhelming, you know, and, and it's not necessarily saying that, okay, at this point I need to go about seeking out services. It's important to do it throughout, you know, sort of regularly have that support. Now, regularly having that support, and again, like I said, there are different types of support that you can seek out. You know, it's so very important in order to to prevent like that stopgap, you know, so where we experience like an overwhelming amount of stress to where things start to break down. And when things start to break down is when it starts to impact and impair functioning in other areas. And that's almost at a point, depending on how it's affecting those different spheres of life, that's almost at a point to where it becomes very critical. It's extremely critical for us to, you know, certainly seek out perhaps maybe services beyond those individuals within our normal support group, you know, so seeking out maybe more formalized 
forms of help, whether it's a mental health therapist, whether it's a psychologist, whether it's a psychiatrist, maybe it's an art therapist, or maybe it's a, um, you know, like any number of professionals. But again, you, you know, using that, um, the, the example of like hydration, you know, it's about getting and achieving and, and receiving support throughout that time. Because whenever you find out that you're dehydrated, that means that you've waited far too long. It's too late. <laughs> it's way, it's like too late, you know? So you over, you have to over consume water in order to regulate the homeostasis, right? To regulate your system. And then, and again, psychological issues or, or seeking out help for psychological issues is, um, it, it occurs along the same um, spectrum in the sense of that it's really important for us to get the support that we need throughout time in very measured ways. But of course, you know, I recognize that there are very real challenges to that, you know, certainly finances being one, right. time being yeah. another, you yeah. know. And so, you know, certainly if you don't necessarily have access to maybe those formalized support systems, whether it's through um, having your ind having independent um, financial sources or, you know, not having insurance. Sometimes it means maybe certainly, you know, certainly relying on your natural support works, maybe even more so. But those support networks maybe become tax, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And so when they become tax, then that means, again, that we're oftentimes where we find ourselves within that crux of I need help, I need support. And the existing structures that are around me aren't able to supplement that. Everyone's dehydrated. Yeah. exactly exactly yeah. and especially right now you know yes, yes. with the pandemic our triple pandemic right yeah in terms of you know in terms of certainly the pandemic itself the coronavirus pandemic in terms of our racial our, our race pandemic in terms of where the systems of oppression you know are evident for everyone to see and of course That's, a financial oh. crisis i'm sorry yeah, you know, no, the financial pinch that, and, and, and more so, you know, and I say financial pinch, it's, it's actually the financial uh, strain that people have always been under is coming to bear. It's just you know, highlighted so now. For Magnified. everyone to see, it's like oozing through, yeah. you know, and it's oozing through and people in terms of those normal support networks, those normal coping strategies that we were able to use in order to keep it together, mm -hmm. they're falling by the wayside. Mm -hmm. So that's a perfect segue for the next question. Um, it, the next one was, uh, have you seen an increase in anxiety since these, this pandemic? And, you know, what is usually the source of it? So it's probably financial or mental or because a lot of people um, like it's, it's been different for different walks of life. So like introverts handle it differently than extroverts do. And the extra introverts are like, it's fine. I'm always in the house. But then they get to the point where they're like, oh, well, I need some human interaction. I need to see someone. And then extroverts have been miserable the whole time. Everything was shut down. And, you know, it's just been it's been different for different people. Um, but I noticed that if it wasn't. Well, like just for an example, personal, just we're going to get a little personal here. My little brother committed suicide earlier this year, hmm. but I knew that he, he committed April 1st, um, right before his birthday. But it was, I knew it was 100%. He already had issues before and we were trying to get help for him. 
But then the the added stress of the pandemic, I felt really pushed him over to where it was just like, no, no more. I can't. So obviously I feel like there was an increase in anxiety and, and stresses during um, the pandemic, pandemic, but have you seen more of of that? So yeah. Very much so, very much so. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. And I'm so very sorry for the loss that you and your family have experienced. Thank you. It's an immeasurable loss, you know, and, and, you know, and certainly this just shows us just how critical and how challenging this triple pandemic has been for us, you know, certainly um, for us, for us. And when I say us, you know, I certainly am referring to black people, you know, Mm -hmm. in the sense of how critical it has been, you know, certainly for us in the sense that, you know, again, you know, I, I think about this I'll say in a sense when, um, let's say when white people get the uh, cold, we catch the flu. And this is very much like what we're seeing here, Mm -hmm. you know, in a sense that these various um, coping strategies that we practice that were so um, critical for us are now are, are just at the brunt of that, you know? And so being at the brunt, like we're constantly like tapped out. And so, mm-hmm. and, and then when, when we see that being played out, right? So we see some of the typical things, right? Just being overwhelmed, being overwhelmed from having to manage and to juggle, not just, you know, certainly some of the normal everyday challenges, but now it becomes that much more because everybody's resources are so very finite. And being that our resources, our emotional, our financial, our cognitive um, resources are so very finite, it's like we're off, like we're operating right at that tip of, of, of you remember the uh, coffee cup example I gave you all. It's like we're just constantly pouring over. We're constantly overwhelmed. We're constantly being overflown. We're constantly being spilled. In this sense of, you know, certainly so where, you know, like we're experiencing just great levels of distress in terms of certainly finance, in terms of just, you know, again, like juggling so many different responsibilities. But I think it also really does point to and certainly um, helps us, it, it really does help us to see just how critical it is for us to really seek out and, and to connect with other people, you know, even more so. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, and, and, and certainly having that that connection with others you know certainly the connection with others I think oftentimes you know certainly having that physical connection is so much better because we definitely see the 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 healing parts of touch you know but again with the coronavirus that's not necessarily very real it's not something that's very realistic or something that can actually be um practiced certainly all the time Right. There's so much risk involved and it's kind of like, I know for me, it's seeing everything that's going on and almost having to feel like you're, you're having to watch from afar and in order to, are you going to take that risk of, you know, maybe going out to protest or maybe going out uh, when people are organizing? Um, Are you going to take the risk of going out and supporting friends that are having a hard time? Do you want to take the risk of you know, going and hanging out with somebody and pop, it's, it's so risky. And it, I just, I don't know. I 
I mean, I, I live with my husband in, um, before we moved from Miami and I love him to death, but it's just kind of like, you need your friends around and you need mm-hmm. like, not just on the phone and on FaceTime, like that definitely picked up during, um, this time, but you realize how much you just want to like sit on the couch with your friends or just mm-hmm. go and sit down and just talk to each other and have that support around and mm-hmm. not I know that it's it's been tough like having to see all of these things play out over and over especially with you know police brutality and having to see the videos like I'm, I early this year before the pandemic even started I made a, a point that I'm not going to watch certain videos mm-hmm. and be more conscious of that right um, because it literally causes me distress. And I know people will send it to me like, have you seen this? Have you seen that? And I literally like, I feel like I'm teeter tottering on falling into like a deep depression whenever I see it, because mm-hmm. it's not just the video, mm-hmm. it's all the layers that are with it. Right. And then you add on top of that, a pandemic that disproportionately affects us. And it's like all of that gives me that feeling of being overwhelmed and um yeah that's the the pandemic has definitely showed me that I need my friends I need my family and also need to make sure um that I'm taking care of my mental health because it's it's a lot like the cup overwhelm you know the cup overflowing is A great, a great visual because that, I've just been overflowing since like, I don't know, March. (laughs) Right, Um, right. Yeah. And um, speaking of um, when, with the videos and everything, I despise that. I I don't want to see someone take their last breaths and for so many people to watch it. I feel like it's like mass desensitizing. Like that's not something normal for people to just watch. You're not supposed to watch people being murdered. It's not something that should be made regular. Um, And whenever I see that or whenever people speak about it, because I didn't see, I didn't watch When They See Us. Um, I didn't watch, I don't watch a lot of shows like that because why why be triggered? I know the reality. I I read plenty. I don't need the visual behind it. so it's just been, I, whenever I hear about these things, I do get that, that feeling and I'm just like, oh gosh, I don't want to know about this. It's just, it's just heavy enough because we know the reality as is. We, we, we're, especially us, we have to be hypervigilant of what the world is, mm-hmm. especially our world in America. So right. added, those added stressors of watching it, especially when you don't have anything else to do. Um, during the pa- yes. pandemic, you have no choice but to face it. And it's like, here, watch this murder. Here, watch this murder. Here, watch mm-hmm. this assault. You know, mm-hmm. watch this riot. Watch watch tear gas being thrown like we're in the 1960s civil rights era. Like, the mm-hmm. fight hasn't stopped. And right. it's just been, we're just um, just seeing like, it in real time and, and living it in real time is enough. I don't have to continuously watch it. And, right. and because it's, if anything, it's uh, a hindrance. It's it scares people and deters people from going out and doing something and trying to make change because they're like, oh, do you see what they're doing to people? You mm-hmm. see, the protesters are getting killed. Like right. what? You know, so right, right. 
but uh, <laughs> Ashley, I know. Yeah, you know, we, we got real heavy there, but uh, yeah, I, think, I mean, but that's the but reality. Think, it right, is the reality. It's, it's not exactly. It, it is the reality, but and I think it also really identifies what we've been experiencing for the past four hundred years. You know, this constant assault of trauma. You know, and so there's this idea, this theory, um, and it's called post-slavery syndrome. Yes. Post-slavery syndrome is a very real assault and trauma that we, so, you know, certainly th there's this idea that genetically or biologically, we have been predisposed to trauma because of certainly the experiences of being transported on these slave ships, whether it's to certainly the West Indies in terms of the United States or different parts of Europe. And then on top of that, you know, we've experienced colonialism. We've experienced, you know, and colonialism certainly for us hasn't always certainly, you know, certainly post the more so the post-colonial uh, period of, of being subjugated to a less than status. Whether it's through certainly the experiences of reconstruction, post-reconstruction, um, terms of Jim Crow laws, and certainly post-Jim Crow in terms of our current experiences. We've constantly been assaulted where we've been told not only are we less than, but, all, but everything or certainly multiple aspects of our lives in terms of how we're treated, in terms of how the opportunities that we're afforded, it reinforces that idea of, of being subjugated. And certainly being subjugated certainly means that we go about expecting not all that certainly life certainly can and should offer us. And so when we see these constant um, assaults by um, policemen, you know, in terms of examples of police brutality, it re-traumatizes us. And it re-traumatizes us in terms of it reinforces this existing understanding or this uh, this understanding that that um, tribally as Black people we understand that we know that we experience, and so mm -hmm. and again it, it 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 taxes our internal and our external resources in the sense that when we see these um, examples of police brutality. Certainly, we see that physiologically we respond, even if we don't necessarily show emotional ex emotions externally. But guess what? It also affects us externally in the sense that we become more and more desensitized. Because again, and going back to homeostasis, going back to certainly this idea of, of survival is that the body is always going to certainly prepare itself to help itself to survive. So if it means that I have to disconnect or disassociate from what I'm seeing here, then that is what I'm gonna do in order to increase my chances of survival. So, you know, certainly in terms of, um, you know, Ms. Ashley, Ms. Dominique, what you all have been doing in terms of like not watching these videos I think are certainly so very important because again, it means that we, we uh, practice um, important self-care techniques not to expose ourselves to trauma over and over and over again because this is a form of trauma. Mm -hmm. And even if we don't necessarily see it, we know exactly how it plays out. Exactly, and I think that I liked how you talked about 
that you touch on this as a form of self-care because I think, you know, like the self-care movement has been going for a few years now and self-care Sunday and it's like taking a bath and, you know, like relaxing. And there is, I think there's also a spectrum of self-care and sometimes we only focus on the very fun and lighthearted part of that spectrum of, you know, taking a walk during the day, but there's, I think the deeper end of it where it, especially for us kind of like protecting our, like our energy and protecting our mental health by not, um, by just monitoring how much we're exposing ourselves to this. And then also understand, cause I don't know if everybody really, I don't know if everybody really understands how much sub even subconsciously that you are affected when you keep watching this and mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's i think i think it affects people more so and i know in our community we don't talk about things you know it's not really great to cry and it's so it's like we're taking it in and, and just shoving it deep down into mm-hmm. our gut mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly exactly what do, what do we do with that and i know that you know, not dealing with mental health stresses can also lead to a wave of other actual like physical, you know, disorders and, you know, from high blood pressure over to like, you know, cancer and, you know, stuffing all of those emotions down and not dealing with them um, is is a lot. But I think just doing that self-care early on and not even exposing yourself to it (laughs) is yeah that's that's a real form of self-care and i hadn't really thought of it like that it very same you know certainly different forms of self-care are so very important you know so a little bit earlier you know we had talked about like your support network right and so i pointed out like some of the like what we call like our emotional forms of uh, of support you know so seeking out like friends but also part of that support network are things that we do to make ourselves feel reinforced in order to make ourselves certainly feel validated. You know, like you say, whether it's reading a book, taking a bath, or maybe taking a hot shower, treating yourself to your favorite treat. You know, for me, personally, it's ice cream. You know, when I have ice cream, all is well in the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, certainly those forms of, of support. But it also means, guess what the most important part of support means? It means receiving the help and believing that you deserve help. Because people can offer help. And so you can have so many resources available to you. However, if you don't perceive that those resources are helpful and you're not willing to receive them, they're, they're just as detrimental as not receiving help at all. And often what we see is that those resources are even more so in the sense that we see increases in cardiovascular risk. Like it has such a strong biological and it's such a strong like health component in the sense that when when we tend not to tap in and and certainly um, take advantage of our support network it has deleterious negative health outcomes for us compared to if we had never sought those services out wow this shows you how it is for us not just receive help but also to certainly find resources that are helpful to us and so maybe sometimes that might mean, you know, cutting certain people out or not doing certain things if we don't necessarily find those support um, sources helpful. Those are hard decisions, but 
again, the body wants homeostasis, the body, and more so more importantly, needs survival. You know, so when we start starting to identify what those healthy resources are in order to promote positive survival, that means that sometimes, you know, we have to do that process of refinement, taking some certain things out, adding certain things in, maybe doing things in measured ways. Mm -hmm. See, and that's a um, that's one of the things that has been um, helpful for me, being aware of what peace is and learning how to protect it. And knowing that when you do have, when you force yourself to protect your peace, the way your life goes is completely different. And it is a lot more peaceful. And mm -hmm. it seems, it seems like common sense, but a lot of people really don't know what peace is in order to protect it. So when you achieve that peace, because I feel that for the most part, I am, I have a very peaceful life. So when I don't have peace, if, especially if it's an external um, thing, not internal, because internally we can talk about that all day. But when something is threaten, threatening my peace from an external standpoint, then I know that I have to remove it. And I don't, I, and it shocks me that I used to be one of those people that was like, I mean, you're crazy, but I guess I'll keep you around. But that's not really necessary. You can really just get rid of the people that just don't offer to add peace or not even add peace. But any threat to your peace is right. too expensive. It's costing you your peace. It, it's too expensive. And learning that was one of the best things I learned about moving when I moved to Miami. I moved to Miami completely alone. I knew no one at all. But I was forced to be with myself. And I was forced to, to see what I liked about me and what I disliked and the things that I wanted to, to evolve from. And... Mm -hmm. And now, whenever you see that, that uh, when you have that increased homeostasis and we know that, you can see all the people around you. You can identify the people uh, around you that don't necessarily have that peace. And they, whether intentionally or not, um, are a threat to yours. So you have to decide whether, okay, I can't really be around you because you don't have, and it's not even on a judgmental thing because it's just, protect yourself at all costs. You, ha you have to protect yourself. So I definitely understand. But I do have a quick question. I'm sorry, um, actually, you can ask the next one, but I have another question that's not um, uh, written down. But when you were talking about um, our traumas and, our, um, and, and things being passed down for 400 years, do you, I read something recently about um, traumas being passed on through our DNA. Now, is that, Something, yeah, okay. So, because <laughs> I really thought that um, I, I read that and I was like, that's fascinating. And then I read a story about it. Um, a girl was basically saying that she had this irrational fear of um, uh, she was claustrophobic, specifically in elevators. But um, her grandfather or great grandfather or someone was in a train wreck years before and never told anybody about it. And you know, that's where. Uh, she believes that it was genetically passed down just in the DNA. Now she's afraid of being on elevators for no, like for no reason. Nothing's happened. It's just elevators specifically, the metal encasements scare her. So. Right. 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 So, you know, and, and that's the thing about it is this goes back to this idea of like genetic predispositions and environmental predispositions. So like, let's say if her, I think you said it was her grandfather. 
It was a great grandfather. It was a grandfather, right? And so her grandfather, um, certainly having this experience, um, what we see, you know, certainly with anxiety, is that it changes us biologically whenever we experience some type of worry or more so like a fear activating event. Mm-hmm. We experience a fear activating event. Now, so not only does it change it biologically, but we start to treat our environment, we start to navigate our environment in that same way as if that fear, that anticipatory, like as if that anticipatory fear is always occurring or about to occur. And so we navigate our environment in that same way. So like, let's say for your friend's grandfather, you know, so he wouldn't necessarily, so it wasn't necessarily just a train, you know, maybe not elevator or any place where he could be trapped. Doors always had to be open. That type of um, anticipatory fear is passed down also environmentally in a sense where, let's say, her parents, you know, certainly noticed this and started to take it in. And by doing that, then they started to navigate their environment in the same way. Right, right. But also... Let's say if that parent also had a genetic predisposition. But but the thing about it, though, is that what we have to see is that with the genetic predisposition or the biological predisposition is that it's passed down uh, biologically. So so if this event happened after um, your friend's mother or father had already been born, more so probably what happened is that there was an environmental predisposition. Meaning that maybe the, her grandfather navigated in an environment that it was always dangerous, and that there was a fear of always being like um, closed in somewhere, and right. so, and then of course, that's being reinforced for your for your friend's mom or for your friend's dad, and so what happens is that perhaps they start to certainly interpret their environments as dangerous. Not only is it dangerous, but I could also get caught somewhere, you know, especially if that response was so um, extreme that they that they ended up um, treating your friend's mom or your dad, you know, in such a way that they couldn't live their lives in an unrestricted way. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and so if it was so very strong, then it changed certainly um, biologically in terms of how they go about understanding their environment. Perhaps there was maybe a risk of genetic predis- uh, of or genetic transmission, but more than likely, what happened is that maybe there is an environmental predisposition, you know, in the sense of where everything in the environment can be dangerous. Right. And certainly, if we take it in, and again, certainly looking at it, you know, across the, um, certainly um, for Black Americans living in the U.S., you know, we think about this in terms of our interactions with the police, for example. Like this is something that we're taught environmentally by certainly our parents, by siblings, by aunts, uncles, grandparents, by friends. Whenever you see a police officer, you follow, you do X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. Really? And yeah. And it's taught, that, you know, only <laughs> whenever a child starts to learn to talk, you know, mm-hmm. and it may not necessarily be socialized, certainly in that stepwise way. But maybe a parent might say, oh, there's a police. You all put your head down. Or there's a police. Make sure your, your seatbelt is on. Yeah. And again. And, yeah. Uh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Continue. I, I'll. 
but certainly, but this is the way in which we go about unintentionally socializing fear. Mm -hmm. It's protective, but it's still socializing fear in our children. Right. And, and the sad thing about it, though, in our society is valid. Yes. It's a very valid. It's a very exactly. valid. You know, but then there's also what we call a healthy paranoia. You know, and this is idea like in the um, actually born in the 1970s that we saw that black men had higher levels of paranoia. There was certainly the um, the tendency of, of the ivory towers, meaning the universities and, and the, the, the academicians and researchers to pathologize that paranoia. However, when you think about that paranoia in context, we start to see that, you know, having that healthy paranoia, having paranoia around your environment, not only for people outside of your environment, meaning police officers or people who brought threats to your environment, but also in terms of maybe having paranoia, healthy paranoia for people around you who may not necessarily mean you well. And that, and so we saw that, um, Appropriate amounts of healthy paranoia were predictive of survival, of being able to navigate their environment successfully. Mm -hmm. See, and that's one of the things that I notice. Anytime there's a police officer in my vicinity, I'm aware. I'm just like, and I'm watching to make sure. And every single time, like if they're going the opposite direction, I'm always looking in my rear view to make sure that they don't turn around. I know I've done nothing wrong. I know that I'm not doing anything wrong. I have no intentions to go do anything wrong, but I'm always aware and I'm always looking in my rear view mirror to make sure that they don't turn around. I don't even know why, but that's just what it is. It's, it, there's nothing that's, I've never even been stopped by a police officer. Like I'm, all, but I'm always ready. I'm mm -hmm. always ready to be. And you know, I, that predisposition is something else. And I know that's environmental um, and just, Yes, I just know. I just get it. <laughs> it's so crazy to think about how, um, like you were saying earlier, how that manifests within your body. It, just having that like visceral reaction whenever we see police officers, because I'm the same way. I, I could be walking, you know, walking down the street and or, you know, walking into Walmart and sometimes there's cops sitting outside of Walmart. I know I'm not doing anything wrong, but it's just like, I don't know when I have anxiety or when I have stress, I can literally feel it in my stomach. And I, I have that every single time I could drive past a cop on the road. I could be driving behind a cop and I'm just like, I want to pass him. Don't I just, I'll just I, stay behind him because you just can't even, yeah, wanna, you can't you know, do it. It's no, no, nothing. Mm -hmm. And I just think about as a community, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure there's people, some people that, that are probably like, I don't care. It, they can stop me if they want to, but I think, the general consensus is that in order to survive, you need to just take, have that healthy paranoia and have that, you know, healthy kind of like, I'm going to keep you at a distance as much as I can in order to protect myself and protect my family. And that's a, a lot to carry. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole other podcast. It's a whole other podcast. Because this, yes. this goes deep. This goes yeah. so deep. And I really want us to, uh, we need to dive in on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, this, because it goes deep. It really does. That's right. insane. Um, do well, you I'm have another? Go, 
Yeah, I'm going to bring it back a little bit, and um, I'm actually going to um, ask you, so what do you think, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but what do you think that um, some of the biggest things or biggest reasons um, that may stop Black women from seeking therapy? I know that we talked about, um, you know, access to healthcare is, is one of them, but I guess also from um, like an emotional level, like what are, what do you think like maybe the top three things are for black women? Um, Thank you for asking that question, Ms. Ashley, because I think here, um, and, and I think that this helps me to go back to an answer I wanted to um, address as well, because you all asking like, what are some of the common reasons that people um, like seek out therapy is also one of the reasons why <laughs> black women tend not to seek out therapy. And it's a superwoman syndrome. The superwoman syndrome of being able to do it all. Big mama did it. My mom did it. Why can't I do it? What do you mean, why can't you do it? It was super unhealthy, you know, is often my response yeah. to my, my patients who are Black women, you know. I'm like, they did it because they had to do it. They had no resources, you know, or very limited resources in terms of some, some of the more formalized, you know, forms of help that we have now. But guess what? You know, we're dealing with so much more in the sense of that not only are, you know, certainly Black women expected to take care of the home physically, you know, taking care of the home emotionally, making sure certainly they have a partner, making sure their partner is healthy and health happy, making sure the children are healthy and happy. And let's not even bring in if they've adopted maybe their siblings or other family members' children. Or they're taking in other family members and children. Like that, like their cup overflows. And so this idea, you know, I like to think of it as like a double-edged sword. You know, while it refines and certainly helps us, guess what? Guess who is chopping down in the process? Yeah. So it's helpful to people outside of us. But then it leads us to certainly doubt ourselves. It leads us to certainly question our own efficacy and certainly our validity as people. I can't do this. What's wrong with me? Such and such did this, such and such did this. And, and so we pathologize our need for help. You know, there's a friend, you know, I love her dearly. You know, I've been friends with her for 25 plus years. And I have been begging her to seek out help. Mental health, mental health, help. You know, I've talked to her about certainly the benefits of therapy. I've talked to her about the benefits of medication. I've talked to her to a blue in the face. This has been like a conversation we've had for the past 25 years. And she's like, I feel like I can do it. If I just pray harder, I can do it. If I just, if I go to church more, I'm not reading my Bible like I should. And that's another episode. That's, that's, that's exactly that's what I was going to say, too. The hour. Okay, let's yeah. just pray away the mental illness. That's fine. That's that's yeah. cool. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, I, I often use this example. I'm like, well, look, let's say, you know, God forbid, but if you had cancer, I wouldn't say let's pray away the cancer. Guess what? We will be going to your chemotherapy appointments. We will be yeah. going to the oncologist. We will be doing all these specialized things that we need to do in order to cut out the cancer. And we can pray on the way to the doctor and pray it, on the way home and pray exactly, all the day. Exactly. Yes. Because all of these things are intercession. These, mm -hmm. All of these things are intercession. Therapy is intercession. Medication is intercession. Prayer is intercession. 
Our relationship with folks are intercession. In terms of whatever that outcome is, because again, we want to increase our likelihood that we reach that positive outcome. And the only way that we do that is to build those helpful resources up. We have to build those helpful resources up. But when we start to cut ourselves off at the legs by saying, okay, I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't need this. Imagine that, you know, this is a pillar or a building with four pillars. You take out two of the pillars, what's going to happen? It's going to collapse. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, so again, you know, we have to build as many pillars, as many supports as we have, and we have to build them up as strong as we can, you know, Mm -hmm. certainly as we can, given the resources that are available to us. And so to answer your question, to go to make sure I I put a button on it, you know, Mm -hmm. certainly that superwoman syndrome, oftentimes for Black women, is what stops us from seeking out help, you know, other than certainly some of the formalized ways like lack, lack of access to care, you know, lack of access to like time. We see that superwoman syndrome. Yeah. Um, the, the funny thing is that's literally why we started the podcast. Do you remember that conversation, Ashley? Yes, that's I do. Really, that's really, that is literally the conversation that we had. We said, okay, um, yeah, so... Um, they always expect us to be the workhorses. They expect us to do uh, this, that, and carry the entire family and support everything, but also do it with a smile. We can't be mad about it. We have to hold the world on our backs and uplift everybody. Yes. Um, but you better not be sad about it. You better not have emotions about it. You be- the only emotion you have to have is a smile about it. You can only be happy and be pleased to to serve your community and serve your children mm-hmm. and serve your husband and serve... And then... You know, we were like, well, black women have anxiety, too. Why can't we have emotions? Why can't we be, uh, when they speak about uh, black women, if we get angry, even if it's just being angry is, oh, oh, angry black woman. Oh, we can't, we can't uh, be put in situations that make us feel anxious. We can't be put in uh, scenarios that make us feel angry or uh, misrepresented or just, you know, there. I mean, that's why we are here. That's why we we started this because black women do have anxiety too. And and it's not uh, a white person's uh, mental illness or a white person's issue. And uh, a lot of people think, well, they don't necessarily think it, but because the mind is is a construct and you can't actually feel it, mental health is also kind of useless to people because they, they don't understand that because you can't touch it and because you can't see it, it means it's not really real. Oh, it's all in your mind. Pray about it. Mm-hmm. That's not a solution. There's mm-hmm. mental health is just as important as going to a doctor and getting a regular checkup, a physical checkup. Um, so, but yeah. <laughs> yes, this, that, I mean, I, I have nothing to add to that because that is, like she said, that's why we started this. And that just goes back to being able to have this space and we're so grateful that that you're here and that I mean this having this conversation with you has been eye-opening and just also reassuring that I think we're on the right path and um, we definitely like respect what you're doing and um, thank you for what you're doing you know within our, our community and also helping us um, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there. I would love to save some of these other questions that we have for another day. And um, 
but yeah, we, we thank you so much, Dr. Stevens. This has been a, an amazing episode. Um, Oh, I do ahead, have Dr. one question now. One oh, question. Okay. Do just for me, this is for my benefit. Do you okay. do online um, sessions? Because I would love to uh, do sessions with you, honestly. Yes, I do. I do. I so um, I, do I just need to email you? And um, because I would love to meet with you. Yes. Because I've been looking for. At gmail.com. I'm sorry? UTPCPA at gmail.com. Okay. And I guess that's a good segue, awesome. Dr. Stevens. Uh, I guess the last kind of wrap up question that I have for you is if somebody is listening to this podcast today and is interested in getting, um, getting some help and getting some professional help from um, someone like you, like how can they get in touch with you? So the best way, so um, you can certainly call me at 386-243-5228 um, or email me at utpcpa at gmail.com. Um, so those are two of the easiest ways. So I typically try to respond within like 24 to 48 hours, you know, um, but it's been, you know, quite busy lately. So please forgive me. It takes maybe an extra day. <laughs> but definitely. Not a and we'll include all of your information um, in the bio and um, we'll make sure that anybody that is uh, trying to reach out to you will have the, the information that they need to do that. But thank you again so much. Thank you so much for stopping me. We can have beautiful. You are so beautiful, black women. You too. Thank you. You too. Thank you. All this melanin. I love it. I know. I know. I got charged up this morning when I saw both of your faces. I'm so excited. So happy. I don't know. Excited too. I can't wait. I can't wait for you to come back. I can't. I really cannot wait. It's gonna be so. It's gonna help so many people. I already, I already see it. The vision is there already. Yes, so. it is. Yes. So all right, Dr. Part to it. Thank you. Yeah, so are we. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you have a <laughs> wonderful rest of your weekend. Um, we will definitely be in touch with you in, in the next couple of days with some more information um, about, you know, what our next step is. But yeah, we, we just appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You all have a blessed day. I'll stay safe, please. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, too. you too. Bye. Bye-bye.